Okay, podcast thirteen thirteen. I'm Dave. This is my good friend Spark, who I'm not going to say anything slanderous about. See, you are about yeah, you're about to cut me off and stop me, but I wasn't going to say anything bad. Yeah, I was prepared. <laughs> you had a thing better than me, Spark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. You're 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 putting shit post in somewhere. Prepared. <laughs> it's going to be lying in wait like a fucking mine. Like a landmine, I'm gonna step mm. over it. You're gonna get it like a little schoolgirl. You know, I know how this cookie crumbles. <laughs> okay, but we've both read Han Solo at Stars End now by Brian Daly and Spark. What are your uh, impressions on the book, having read it for the first time? Well, it was actually quite good. Like I didn't expect it to. I mean, it is a short read. I thought it was longer because of the, um, like I told you before, like the format. I was reading it in, but it, it wasn't too bad. Like it was well paced. Like you have Han, kind of gun running at the beginning, on that one planet doing some like maneuvering with the lava, but he didn't want to get into like what the aliens were like. You know, fighting against the corporate authority. Then he meets with uh, Jessa, which is a uh, proto uh, <laughs> Leia. That's basically yeah. what she is. Like, yeah, it's. I think it's because like th- I think uh, only the first movie was out. Leia was like the only model of love interest for Han. So for every female, he's obviously got to be some like hard headed, tough, take no shit woman for him to fall in love with. Well, that's like with the EU. Like, like most of the girls have to be like really hot and like redhead and have like green eyes mm-hmm. like Marjade. Like, it's mm-hmm. always it's like the Marjade like, syndrome. It's like there's templates of females in Star Wars. You can't differentiate from it. Yeah, because if you don't, I mean, you know, then it's not as popular. It has to be redheaded. They have to be have blue or green eyes. Now that's you know. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, a little blonde like Jess, but they still have to have the proto Leia personality. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's personalities that they have to fall into. Mm-hmm. That's made a lot with the EU. I, I'm guessing the the I guess Disney can and kind of get rid of that, but then yeah, yeah, I'm not keeping up with the uh, whatever the templates are for females in the Disney canon. I don't even. I well, don't it, even se- know. it seems to be black women with the side cuts. Yeah. <laughs> Sloan have that? Uh, oh, actually, well, no, she didn't have a side cut. Oh, okay. But then she, like, disappeared. The first order started, like, appearing. Yeah, they they were going somewhere with that, but the filmmakers don't care about whatever the, the secondary material is, so it went nowhere. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, well, continue on. What did you think? Uh, let me ask you this question. When uh, let's let's fast forward ahead, like in the book, towards the the harvester kind of like escape that they had to escape during that facility, meeting the um, some of the characters. There. What do you think about the you know the the grain field chase? Mm, see, rereading this for the second time, I could picture it a lot clearer in my head because this time around, uh, I, I picked up on like the descriptive detail of when they're in like one of the harvester vehicles and they're like racing through this giant fucking field of grain and shit and it's like spewing all over the windows and Han's like dipping his head out because they can't see around them while they're trying to escape so he has to dip his head out to see if he can make out anything and he's just describing like cereal oats and shit flying past his head it's pretty neat I thought I thought what was really neat is like if they were on like the tractor beam of that dreadnought and oh, they yeah. like the grain and it kind of messed up the, the shit loud and the kind of escape in a way which is pretty cool if you think about it like the grain and space it you know it's pretty neat i mean it's a pretty inventive way to get out of the the dreaded tractor beam situation because like whenever you get your heroes in a tractor beam they're either going to get captured or they need to devise some way to get out of it so the plot can keep going and they actually did it twice in stars End. it was the first time when he was on darun and it was a smaller type vessel but he got out of it by pulling a bluff with the whoever was captaining the the corporate sector vehicle by run like he likes okay so this this is another thing so tractor beams i always assume like you're stuck in place but you can't move but in this in the first instance when han is in a tractor beam he can't move out of the tractor beam but he can like ride the beam of it towards the enemy ship to threaten to crash it yeah, I think they changed. Th- like this book, you have to think is like in the, like the seventies. Mm-hmm. So like I kind of think you know again this is when 
Star Wars is, was getting that identity. So, like, I didn't think they thought of, like, um, probably, like, uh, other sci-fi media, like, you, you stuck in place. But I guess they have some liberty if you can, like, ride the beam. But normally, I think now... Yeah, I think that's modern, more solidified. Like, you, 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 you're, you're kind of boned. You can't move. Because it, it, you have to think, like, the people making these, uh, you know, tractor beams... Like, if the ship that you have is able to, like, you know, ram your ass, it's kind of like a design flaw. Like, maybe we shouldn't have it like that. Yeah. Because I can see that being used in so many creative ways. Like, you know, have, like, a missile getting shot and, Mm. you know, fucking up the uh, the tractor beam array. You know, that actually reminds me that there's a moment in the Thrawn trilogy where Luke is caught in a tractor beam by the Chimera. And he devises some way to get out of it, but I forget the specifics Luke did some sort of shit that's what okay, he crash landed on that planet that had uh, um, uh, cause I listened to the audiobook what was his name who Talon Card yeah Talon Card the guy he sounded like Zoro <laughs> yeah and that's when Mara had like a hate boner for Luke for like an entire like good yes. three to four chapters I hate Luke so it came Mara we get it the first time Nah, Zahn just had to reiterate it. Yeah, that was good. Good fuck. But, but anyway, we're getting... We're yeah, yeah. It. Actually, I wanted to talk about Darune, uh, the planet in the beginning. Because uh, it opens up with Han already running the guns there. And he gets past... Like, I think he comes under the sensor of some corporate authority, like, base that was on Darune. And there's this cool image where he's trying to get to his drop-off point, And he goes through... He, like, turns the ship vertically and he goes through this tiny crack in like a mountain he's getting to like this hidden little uh enclave area where it's got like this cool waterfall and all these thick 20 meter high ferns and shit covering the area yeah for the he also gives the gun lesson to the the, the people who's uh, he's dropping off weapons to like these um displaced workers that got fooled by the corporate sector yeah i tried looking up they had any info on the Wook, which they did not, but their description was kind of, it was kind of, it kind of stood out to me the second time around I read this book, because they're like short, they're kind of roundish, I think they described with long arms and like big eyes, like I just imagine big cartoony eyes, like they look kind of fucking cornballish, picturing it, so it's just funny to imagine Han passing out these fucking rifles to them like the fucking Viet Cong. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, in a way, they, they kind of get, like, the shit in, in the stick here. Because, like yeah. I said, the corporate sector kind of promised these, you know, funky-looking aliens the work. But in reality, they're just being used as slaves. But, I mean, I kind of felt sorry for him, but I can understand why he didn't want to get involved. He, he hooked him up with some decent blasters, too. I think they, like, were described as having uh, bayonets. They had scopes on them, too. And little, uh, what, what are those things called? Why am I blanking on it? That lets you uh, heft them on your back. The little straps. Uh, yeah, the, you mean the um, slings? Yeah, slings. That's the word. See, this is why I keep you around, Spark. Uh, yeah. But, it, like, um, he described where, like, he he pretty much told them he, they have to control their fire because unlike mm. the corporate security guys, like the Espos is what they called them in this, um, they could just, you know, fire fully automatic. So it would be better just to, you know single shot which is kind of smart in a way. it's, it's yeah. pretty damn smart not gonna lie if you're, if you're fighting against an enemy like that you kind of have to conserve ammo because you're not going to have a lot of ammo on the, you know, middle of the mm-hmm. and also differentiates uh who's ally and who's foe if they hear distant gunfire that's true very true because in this book multiple times the uh, the corporate security they they do love their auto fire yes uh, they, <laughs> they, they they certainly don't uh you know conserve ammo they definitely go you know balls out on that mm, they go ham if it will you know <laughs> ham uh <laughs> they also it was pretty cool they also described um remember the, i remember the in the uh, the other time we talked about the e-web mm-hmm. placements they also had like the, the um uh, the heavy blaster you know emplacements they're putting down and he even said in the book talking about the uh kind of like the little deflector shield and actually yes. han got saved by that like a deflector shield when he got when they were trying to escape before mm-hmm. the uh harvesting chase he was pinning down like a whole bunch of those security group 
of people using the uh, heavy blast rifle would be pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I wrote that down as a note, actually, uh, in the Oron 3 section when they're in that shootout that he used the deflector shields. So, yes, I'm glad you picked up on that because that was pretty fucking cool. That was fucking... Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, there's... I mean, the heavy blaster emplacements are pretty pretty cool. I mean, setting them up's a bitch, but... I mean, if they have their own deflector shields... I mean, you never see that in the movies, but, like, you, you can you can see why they're pretty much, like, really... You know, really I, I was reading a little bit about um, good old Brian Daly here. Uh, he wrote a book that was about an APC unit in Vietnam getting transported to a fantasy land. And, like, I was just wondering myself if he had, like, a personal military experience... Because he, do, he does have, I kind of get the impression as like an author, he might have some type of military background with, you know, Han dispensing his knowledge there of the guerrilla fighting and the use of the, the clever use of the deflector shield. I just wonder. Yeah, yeah. Isn't one of your other like really like favorite Star Wars uh, authors a uh, has a military background? Is this a bant about fucking Karen Travis? Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, it is Karen Travis. Yeah, like, isn't that your favorite <laughs> author you said? <laughs> And you said I was going to be placing the fucking shit post mines, and here you are setting one off. Karen Travis. No, what? See, you're, you're, say, you're saying Karen Travis is my favorite author when you have one of her fucking Gears of War novels mounted on your fucking wall yeah. in your room. Uh, okay, one, one is not mounted. <laughs> Two, I didn't know who Karen Travis no, was. No, no, you had that daughter. shit mounted and laminated everything, put in fucking carbonite. Did I have that shit uh, you know, bronzed as well? Yes, you know? gilded, bronzed. <laughs> <laughs> the book wasn't bad though like to be honest with you yeah like, I, I, I believe it because I've read three of her repcon books so far and two of them are good and one was kind of shit yeah she didn't like I know she's like uh, notorious for her mando wink but like the Gears of War book was fine like when I read him like alright this, this is pretty cool because I only bought it uh, I bought that with the, the Throne trilogy so I was like you know I might as well just read this you know because that was when Gears of War was popular back in the day so I was like I, I'll read it you know, getting yeah immersed because I liked, I liked the first. Oh, how about, I don't know if you want to get into that, but I'm gonna just say this: uh, the first Gears of War, like the atmosphere, I, I didn't enjoy that mm -hmm. entire thing. I remember that checkpoints were brutal. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the multiplayer was fun too, but it pissed me off. <laughs> well, well fucking, the shotgun. Yeah, the multiplayer that that never changed. That was for every Gears of War, and that always pissed me off. Oh my god! But. Yeah, Karen Travis is like a competent author, but I get a lot of the hate around her. But you know, you can't deny that she's a decent writer when she wants to be. Yeah, I mean, especially if you like, if you're a big Mando fan, she's definitely the go-to. Oh God, she she loves Mandalorians. She, yeah, it goes beyond love. Yeah, she she she's either it's either she wishes she was married to a clone, or she wishes she was a clone, mm. and or a Mandalorian. <laughs> Maybe both. Yeah, she's a strange one. But um, where was I going with this? I was talking about Darone. We went through the Vietnam stuff. Yeah, I guess moving on past that, after he delivers the shipment of carbines, uh, we, he gets into the situation where the smaller corporate sector of vehicle tries to tractor him. He breaks out of it by calling the commander's bluff and almost ramming the ship. Then he arrives at the next planet, Eddie 4, I believe it was. I think it's like one of the main, like regular city planets on the corporate sector. Oh yeah, a fun note about uh, his payment. They paid Han in like gems and like stones and stuff, as opposed to like regular credits, which he was then able to go and turn in into a corporate sector money voucher, because the corporate sector like doesn't use regular credits mainly. They have like their own special little vouchers and own special credits. I think. Yes. This is, is pretty neat, but then again, if you leave the corporate sector, you're kind of screwed. So yes. Been that there. Yeah, he Brian Daly did pretty good on the world building of the corporate sector. Like they actually feel like a mix of the Empire, but with this soulless corporate aspect to them. You know, forcing the voucher. It kind of reminds me of Shadowrun, that setting, with the way you have a corpse script as opposed to regular money. You know. Since you mentioned that, it, it kind of reminds me of, like I said, like like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. That sort of like the or that or that world because uh, seventy seven is like you know it's made by um, what's his name? It's my mind's blinking. Um, uh, Mike Pondsmith. Yeah, like his universe, the cyber. It's like these corporations are like really big, and they can pretty much do whatever they want. And that's what I'm getting from the corporate sector. It's kind of like that. Like like these corporations are so huge, they can fill like armies and. 
do whatever they want and everybody who lives underneath of them are kind of like powerless like if you read the book you you like different colonies have been like swallowed up by these you know these people mm-hmm. so, a lot like, i think they describe yeah. like tens of thousands of worlds yeah that's what Hom was saying like it's pretty like all these species that you don't really regularly like live within the corporate sector because it's like the corporate sector is in it's like different like like corner of the galaxy like it's not really like you know you're going to go through it a lot there's not like you know popular hyperspace lanes like in the you know mid-rim to like cool worlds area it's like it's own little section they're still beholden to uh the empire interestingly enough because i remember when i was reading through one of the d6 books it describes like the whole power structure of the corporate sector and how it's set up from like the regular managers to way at the top where the main council is, and they mentioned there's like a special position for an imperial who's basically just there to watch them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, are they really going to try to go against the empire at that mm-hmm. point? Like they're going to get steamrolled. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, actually, I'll save that thought for later because I want to get through the Eddie section because what else? What did I write down here? Uh, on Eddie, we see Han. Oh yeah. So he goes and he basically reports. Uh, to Pluvo two for one that he's completed the job and he gives him half his half of the voucher, but Han is a dick and he leaves like a little animal in it that bites Pluvo. <laughs> yes, he had to make sure like that this animal is described as like really vicious, like it's small, mm-hmm. but it has like this Napoleon complex, like it can take on like a bigger like animal and it has supposedly it's like venomous and it, like it emits this like really like smelly ass like secretion or something like that. Mm-hmm. This is what I got from him, but he had to make sure it was, uh, de- you know, veined or defanged for venom. Uh, but it, it was still a little, little vicious, little bastard running around. But it was pretty neat what he did with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you pick up on the hut named Big Bungie in his interaction with Pluvo that he mentioned? I don't know. I didn't really pick up too much on that. Yeah, that's actually a dude who appears way later in the Vong War during like two Han focused novels. So yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a deep cut that they pull from. Is he a stereotypical hut? And he's all evil and rubbing his nipples. He's actually a nice guy, as far as I remember, which is surprising because it's yeah. descri- Honda is described as having like strafed his pleasure dome or something in this book. Because yeah, normally huts are just portrayed as you know like always criminals, and, mm-hmm. like, always know, fat. It's like, a, it's like, uh, it's like um. Like one, like one member of the race can ruin it for the entire kind of race. Like it's like, um, like you know, what's a good example? Well, huts are like a really good example. What's a really another good example? Like uh, all rodians are all hunters. Trandoshans are all like you know, mm-hmm. you know, bounty hunters or hunters themselves. Which I think I think their society does evolve around hunting or something like that. But yes, like, I know all of them can be hunters. It gets very redundant. You know. It's like, you know, you see like a speed, like, or like Twilight dancers or like, you know, or Twilights are dancers, you know, that sort of shit. Like, no, not all of them. Yeah, all Twilights are slaves. <clears throat> yeah. They're slaves to the D. <laughs> uh, did you pick up on the female that was all over Han at the nightclub? I think she was described as having like white hair and like tan skin. Yeah. Like, he walked in there and she was all like all over him. Mm hmm. He was like, oh, yeah, let's just do that, but later. And she's like, oh, well, well, went off and found a new target, a new mark. Mm-hmm. Well, she never got the chance because Han was, like, running out of there in a firefight because the the damn yeah. corporate sector. Yeah, this, yeah, that, that's Pluvo's whole fucking plan. Because he knew the Falcon wasn't going to be up to the regulations on the planet, so he's going to lure Han there, get paid, and let the corporate sector fucking arrest his ass. But Han wasn't having any of that, and he forced him to stay there, and that's when he sicked the fucking dinko on him. And I also like the little note there of when they're trying to escape and they're firing at each other. There's like this uh, disco ball type thing that exploded as they were running out. Yeah. And they also fucked with the... Uh, the gravity. The yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody kind of like smack on the ground. Yeah, I forgot. It's like a gravity club where everyone can be floating around on the dance floor. Yeah, because it also describes like the dancers were like flo- they were floating and dancing at the same time, and like Han, like uh, did he shoot it? I think he shot it. I think he, uh, or he he did something with the uh, generator, mm-hmm. and pretty much 
the gravity to be more heavier. So everybody kind of like smashed at the, you know, was stuck on the ground, couldn't really move because the, the G's were too fucking strong. Kind of reminds me of what happens later in the book. <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's also something that made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they pull some, you know, typical Star Wars shit, tricking the corporate, sec- corporate security and getting the Falcon out of there. Um, then they arrive at the next planet, which had a, a really weird name, something with an S. But basically, they come to this planet where these outlaw techs are, and they're going to use their money to trick out the Falcon with the new sensor so they don't end up in similar trouble like they did on Darune. And that's when we get introduced to Jess, a.k.a. the fucking quest giver. And she basically gives the rundown on Han that her father has gone missing. All these other people are going missing. What'd you say? Name is Doc. Han, yeah, Doc. And Han deals with Doc at this uh, this outlaw technician's area, but uh, Doc is missing. So his uh, his daughter Proto uh, Leia, yes. Tessa, is uh, in control of it. Mm-hmm. You know, funny enough, I think yeah, outlaw tech is actually used in the Edge of the Empire RPG for one of the specializations. Yeah, I mean, when you're trying to fit your ship to go to the Galactic Ley Line, I mean. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Outlaw Star podcast. Katarl <laughs> <laughs> Katarl, stupidest yeah. fucking name. Oh my god. <laughs> People who listen to this, like, what the fuck are they ranting on about that? Katarl Katarl, isn't that Hintaro? Cool, <laughs> cool. <laughs> but he meets up with Jess, and as she's trying to like rope him in to helping her track down her father and all these other missing people, they get attacked by the corporate security. Uh, they come in with a Corvette, but they only let out, like, four fighters before the Corvette fucks off to get more reinforcements. And we're gonna find out later that there's a, f- a butt-fucking traitor is the one that fucking told them of the location of where their base may be. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's go over the fact of, like, when, when you say four fighters, you think, oh, yeah, that's not much. But, like, the people on the ground, like, their defenses... Uh, well, only good for like you know, kind of a bigger shit. They didn't yeah. have anything by fighters, right? But they did have these Z ninety five headhunters there, right? Which are supposed to be, um, uh, if you think of like an X wing, but not as. Um, not it's got like less arm. wings, less of frame. Yeah, it only has like. Well, it's described in the book. Funny enough, they have like three blasters. But I think most <laughs> of the models I've seen as headhunters, they only have like two. But yeah. Besides that's besides the point. Like most of these people on the ground aren't don't have a lot of combat time. So Han kinda has to step in since the Falcon is getting refitted to be like this uh this harvest um container to go to this other plant they have to go to. Mm-hmm. But he pretty much has to instruct them and they have like this cool dog fight segment and it gets pretty, you know, it surprisingly gets it's like really really good see this is where i start thinking that the author definitely has some military experience because you could tell he's having a lot of fun writing this and putting out all the details weighing out how this is going to go because he factors in the experience of both pilots uh the specs of their ships which one has speed which one has maneuverability and you know their discipline and how they deal with the firefight yeah, and it's also a really cool thing. It's like he described like one of the like the headhunters was piloted by like I think yeah it was a brother because mm-hmm. there was two brothers flying and one of them got shot down. Well, the blaster bolt from the um, or blaster can or whatever these things were using mm-hmm. uh, went through the headhunter and it destroyed. Kermish <laughs> got cut in half by this like this bolt and bisected. I'm like reading it like Jesus. Yeah, that's like, what I don't want to be a pilot in Star Wars. I mean, <laughs> it's that bad. I-, I thought it was a cool note, too, that Han knew they were their weakest links. So he had them sit back at the base so everyone's escaping to buy them time. And hopefully, you know, if fighters do get by, they'll at least have those two brothers there to stop them. But they got blown the fuck out by, like, one of the fighters already. Yeah. Yeah, but at, like, at the end of, like, that battle, there was only, like, him. Oh, yeah, Jessa was also, you know, in the air. Yeah, I think, like... It was Han, the Lafrarian alien, and Jess. But, like, yeah. two of their, their headhunters were, like, destroyed. Yeah. And what was... What, they described these... Um, oh, yeah, and also the cool thing, and the very smart thing that Han also was telling these guys, the corporate fighters were really fast, mm-hmm. but in, like, space. The moment they got down in the atmosphere, 
they kind of got slower and they kind of used that to their advantage because the headhunter could turn faster and maneuver. So it was kind of like, it, it wasn't like r really like this really detailed and intricate like dog fighting thing. Like it, it felt like it was reading something out of like World War II. It's like different fighters operating different, you know, mm -hmm. uh, altitudes and, you know, stuff like that. It was pretty neat. Yeah, I could picture pretty well uh, the dog fighting maneuvers that are being done here. And I liked how they characterized the IRD ace that was leading these corporate fuckers that Han was fighting. Because it was basically just Han tangling with their leader this whole time as everyone else was fighting the minions. And, like, yeah. the, the Brian Daly establishes, like, the nemesis that Han's against really well without giving him any, like, screen time by basically, like, uh, you hear Han's, like, own internal thoughts, like, oh, this guy, I bet he's fresh out of the can. I mean, you know, top marks, top scores, but he's looking to make a name for himself. And, like, he kind of just chalked that all up to why this asshole was going in for all these showy moves, trying to get a clean kill on Han. Because he didn't just want to vape him, get done with it. He wanted to, you know, make a show of it. Which Han used to at his advantage, because he, like, he did some maneuver where he, like, snap rolled around to face him and blew him up. Because he got taken off surprise, basically. Yeah, he, he, like I said, he also used the planet's atmosphere. And mm -hmm. got him, like, a little rough where his, uh... Uh, the corporate securities fighter couldn't be, you know, use its speed kind of against Han here. So it was like, it was pretty much much like a maneuver battle, which Han won at the end. Mm. Blasted the, the guy out of the sky. I think sometime before this battle, we hear like some reference to Han potentially being in the Imperial military. And I think this is like the first of where we hear about that in his backstory. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said he was pretty much his commanding officer used perjury against him. And the only person that believed him was a Wookiee which was obviously Chewie. Mm -hmm. They pretty much, yeah. He got drummed out of the, I, probably the, the uh, Kuro military is what I'm probably thinking. Because yeah, Han did grow up on Krillia, so that would make more sense. I think in the movie Solo, that also yeah. happened, but in a kind of a different take. Because in that movie, Han joined the Imperial Army, but I don't think any of you he ever joined Well, he, there was actually a deleted scene in Solo where they show him in the Imperial like a uh, fighter academy, but they like demoted her and kicked yeah. him down in the army. Yeah, so yeah, he did some maneuvers that I didn't like, and they kicked they kicked him to be in the uh, the army, in the front line. Some mud plan, I forget the planet called. Yep. So yeah, they fight off the corporate fighters on their planet there, taking heavy losses. A few of the the corporate fighters actually strafed the outlaw tech base before they killed them all. So they probably killed a lot more people. Yeah. Which sucks, but you know. Yeah, just I had to evacuate the planet too because there there is a traitor mm -hmm. among them, obviously. And it got me thinking who it was, but it was actually kind of neat how that you know goes down. Yes, yeah, so that's a, a high point of the book for me. So after they, yeah. that's yeah, that's where after that, Han says, "Okay, I'll do this job." Then he fucks off to the agriculture world, Oron, where he meets a based Recon, who is one of the people on the job there, where. Basically, all these people who have had lost ones or loved ones taken, they all, like, band together for this job to raid this data center on Oron and find out what the fuck is happening. And Recon meets up with Han, and what was his position? Recon was, like, some type of technical... Uh, Recon was an administrator, but you're also forgetting one character, and that's Bollocks, and inside of Bollocks, yes, Blue Max. Yes, thank you for reminding me, Bollocks and Blue Max, because they're actually like major characters for these Brian Daly novels that appear in each of yeah. them, and they actually play actually, major roles in this one. Yeah, they're actually they are actually pretty cool. Uh, basically, then let me describe Bollocks is described as kind of like an industrial droid, right? But pretty much they bought him. Well, Jessa bought him from uh, from somewhere, and they pretty much emptied out his chest cavity. And Blue Max is like this blue kind of like small data esque um, uh, droid that can't really move its own, so it has to stay within uh, bollocks. And they kind of have like this symbiosis together, but they actually work well together as a team. And they have to mm -hmm. bring um, both of them together to meet Recon here because they can use Blue Max has to scan kind of like this data center. Recon is working kind of undercover as an administrator to get, uh, to figure out where all these people are going. Cause the corporate sector, like, uh, uh, Dave, he was telling, um, uh, all, all these people are try are, you know, missing. So they have to figure out where they're getting uh, taken away to. Yeah. Um, 
I always imagined Blue Max is having this very childlike voice, which contrasts pretty funnily with fucking Bollocks, because he has like this leisurely drawl, as they describe it. He talks like this, so um, how may I be at your service, Captain Solo? But Blue Max has like all this energy in his voice. I want to also mention that later on, they also did say that Bollocks did serve as a regimental commander's yes. droid during a Clone War, which, which mentioning this, this was before, like, you know, the movies, like the prequels, and, it, and that kind of was like, well, really now? That's interesting. They mentioned this, you know, back. They don't say back which back side back. either, too. Yeah, that's, it, gets you, it really makes you think, like, was there, an, you know, because now we got the clone, obviously we have, like, the Separatists and the mm-hmm. Republic, but, like, this is, like, when Star Wars is becoming a thing, the only other mention of Clone Wars was obviously in the just you know, like the one line, movie. basically. Yeah, by you know, by Obi Wan when he was telling Luke. So it's like interesting. It's like the, this is a, the uh, the only other time I can remember that the Clone mm-hmm. Wars was mentioned back in the day before it. You know, it's the Clone Wars we know now. Yeah, there's like a lot of weirdness regarding the Clone Wars in like the pre prequel era EU stuff. Like, I think the impression was that they assumed it was that it was Jedi fighting clones, <laughs> which isn't how it turned out in George's mind, but it's always funny when you see the details of that pop up. Yeah, there's a lot of weird Clone War stuff. They also imagined the Clone War was happening in, like, a much wider time period, too, like 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. But you just, we just have the, the fortune of hindsight. They didn't know. Yeah. We, we read these in, in 2021 in this book, like I said, came out late 1979, 80, so. Mm-hmm. Um, what was on about? Yeah, so they meet up, the crew and Recon, they meet up with others, uh, the other people who have lost loved ones to do this data raid. And we have Torm, who's like the son of like this what was it, like some type of like farming baron or some shit on a planet Kale? Yeah, something like that. And the corporate sector has taken his brother and dad, and we meet Atuar and Paka, who are two like felonoid Triani that lost their father and husband. Mm-hmm. And Recon, who's lost his nephew. And Recon, he's described as like this big, powerful dude, but he's also like a university scholar. And, like, I guess his nephew was, like, saying some things that the corporate sector didn't agree with. Yeah, he was pretty much, since he was kind of, like, I think he was either a teacher or, like, the head of, like, the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, his um, his nephew kind of, like, could, like, enjoy the benefits of that, you know, spot. Because not everybody in the corporate authority could, like, go to, like, you know, academy or, you know, higher tiers of learning, right? So, obviously, because you're, you're the... Uh, the nephew or you know, the nephew of the, you know, the big shot involved, you can have access to said, uh, mm-hmm. you know, educations and, you know, this life of luxury. But I think his nephew saw the disparity of what was happening and he was really vocal about it, which caused Recon here to kind of like, uh, kind of back him in a corner where he had to kind of like resign because he was getting a lot of, you know, I, because the academy where he was teaching at or in charge of, there's a lot of high prominent children of yeah. higher up corporate sector authority members. So it's like he kind of had to resign because of his nephew, but his nephew got snagged. Mm-hmm. That's what he was doing. Yep. I mean, it makes sense that someone like at the university and a youth will be the one speaking out against the corporate sector. Yeah. But uh, they get the crew together and then they go down to the data center to get. Uh, they were looking specifically for. Uh, what do they mention? Like they were looking for signs of like where all their resources were going to, you know, where data trails ended pointing towards whichever system will be holding all these people. Cause you know, Oren is an agri world. That food's going to be going somewhere. And I think they were trying to trace where some of that food may be going. That's storing a large amount of people. Yeah. They were doing a whole mm-hmm. bunch of shit. Max had to be hooked up to the kind of like the computer core. And when he did his thing, Yep, and an alarm is tripped after some time, though, that sets off uh, alarms. And Blue Max, he has a really smart idea here of setting off fake alarms all over the planet. Fires, chemical leaks, all types of shit to, like, split up the security, which was really smart on his part. And then, uh, sometime before that, 
I wanted to mention, this is where we officially learn that there's a traitor in the group, because Recon tells Han, and he wants Han and Chewie to kind of be like his lookout somewhat for whoever it is. Han, at this point, isn't trusting fucking anyone, though, like not even Recon. And, yeah, the alarm gets sounded. Recon makes sure he's the last person as they're running out, because he doesn't want to, you know, get shot in the back by anyone. There's actually this really cool shootout. You remember this, the shootout in, like, the stairwell? Where, like, um, they're descending. Yeah, they're descending because they're trying to get to the underground garage. And there's, like, corporate sector dudes coming up above shooting at them with riot, riot guns. I remember that they were trying to go down the chute to go to the garage. Mm-hmm. And that's when Han kind of took over the uh, the heavy blaster emplacement they were putting. Because I remember, like, he had to, like, shoot at, like, the crew that was manning the gun before they got to yeah. the place. Up. Then he hopped on the gun, and he was pretty much like <clears throat> he, he was taking. He was pinning the guys that were after them, but then he had to swivel the gun and attack people that were like above him, and swivel it again to attack people come below him. Yeah. Then, he, then they jumped into the shoot uh, to the, uh, the the parking area and found like uh, like some sort of like hover sled or whatever they used mm-hmm. to escape. Yep. So they all pile onto that. Uh, there's a pretty lengthy escape sequence of them going through the grain. I think they hijack one of those giant agribots on the planet too at some point, right? Yeah, Blue Max actually. I think Han puts Blue Max in charge of one of them and pretty <laughs> much uh, commands Blue Max to do some like you know some distraction and help. And which brings it to what happens next of uh, Chewie getting captured within the yes. uh, the grain. Because I think there's like a moment where Chewie knows they need more distraction for them to escape, so he kind of sacrifices himself mm-hmm. to get captured. Yeah, and uh, uh, Han got knocked out to prevent him from, you know, yeah, going and you know getting captured as well, which was in hindsight smart because like uh, once it was Han was kind of away, he kind of noted to himself that going down there would have been a bad bad idea. Mm-hmm. So after that, they're still not out of the woods. Because when they get into orbit, trying to escape, um, there's a fucking Invincible-class cruiser, which, funny enough, I remember from Thrawn's Revenge, that fucking Empire War mod. Have you seen what it looks like? I probably have, but I probably need to see notification. It's really goofy-looking. Hold on. Let me get it for you. Yeah, there's a lot of goofy-looking shit. (laughs) All right. Yeah, it's this. Sure it wasn't a droid. You sure it wasn't a dreadnought? I think they did describe it as a dreadnought. Yeah, it's a dreadnought. Yeah, yeah they described it as a dreadnought. I just I pictured it just as a dreadnought in my mind. But that does look, mm-hmm. it really does look goofy. That one does. It fits with the OT aesthetic, a bulky, blocky looking almost. Yeah. Cylinder shaped. Um. But yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know if we mentioned it or not, but the Falcon is, like, encased in this, like, barred shell that they used to infiltrate Oron. That was, like, yeah, yeah, because I, I remember now. Um, as they had the, the ship loaded, like, someone on the planet just mistaked it for a regular barge and filled it with grain, which was slowing down the Falcon somewhat, trying to escape. But it works in their favor because Han uses that opportunity to dump all the grain in front of the Dreadnought then have the barge piece break off and smash into it to damage it. Then they fuck off out of there. Yeah, they go to their next next objective. Mm-hmm. But in the transit to that, some uh, some interesting plot points comes up. Yes, Recon kills himself by shooting himself in the back. You know, if yeah, because Recon dies. But in this book, they. What they described it as a needle point laser or somewhere, some yeah, sort, they, really they do weird. a lot of weird stuff with blasters because the fucking traitor comes up behind a recon and shoots him with a needle beam, which I'm just assuming yeah. is just a super precise shot that you can just toggle on your blaster. Well, yeah, even, even even before that, though, we saw a recon just brutalize a fucking corporate security dude with a disruptor like full charge. Point blank. Yeah, he he shot the guy, and he was in like it's described as like this hover van that had like a turn on top, and like he uses like the stroker pistol, and, like he overcharged it right, and he mm-hmm. shot the guy he was piling it, causing it to kind of like uh, turns like you know flip sideways, crash on the ground. Yeah, he doesn't have much qualms about fucking murdering a dude cold as a fucking scholar. <laughs> well, you know he has to go re- rescue his nephew. You know, yeah. 
He's not going to uh, be passive about it. He needs to, you know, well, the corporate sector is still in your loved one. I doubt you're going to play nice with him. Nope. But, yeah, this is where we get the little murder mystery section because Han, he's to find out who the fuck killed Recon because Torm, as far as he knew, was in the gunwell at the top. Someone was at the gunwell at the bottom, and he couldn't confirm if there was ever a moment where they weren't manned because he didn't fire any of the shots at the cru- not the cruiser, but the dreadnought. But he does get a clue from Rec. Well, not a clue, but like the exact location of uh, where they're keeping all their loved ones at the Star's End facility on Midas 7, I think it was, which he scrawled in on a little stylus as he was dying and hid. So Han sees that, and he has to devise some way to find out who the killer was. So, oh, he knows it wasn't Bollocks because Bollocks was with him at the cockpit for a time, I think. So it, the, the suspects were Paka, Atuar, and Torm. Yeah, I thought it was Paka and Atuar, to be honest with you, because you know, they have a more uh, thing to lose, because uh, Paka was also captured, the little, the little cub here, was captured by the corporate security, and like uh, it was described as, like, you know, Paka didn't use to speak, but after they got kind of interrogated, slash tortured by the corporate security, like, they don't speak anymore. So I, I was thinking, I was like, yeah, maybe, you know, you know, she has more to lose up mm-hmm. here, you know, because she, she lost her husband and now her cub is kind of under like control. So maybe she's kind of forced with the arm behind her back to do, you know, this, this sort of like espionage esque type thing. But mm-hmm. I was uh, proven wrong. That's kind of what I was thinking the first time I read this, that Pac is like the sleeper agent. But no, yeah, it's the fucking yeah. it's the fucking asshole Torm who did it because he wants to become the he wants to basically take his place as leading their little farm empire whatever on his planet, which they captured his uh, father and brother for. So that was his little yeah, well, reward. Well, he got a little reward too because he he was running from Han right because they had there was like the section where Alor and he they pretty much both have blasters mm-hmm. it was Torm and Alor and like, yeah Han Han fucked fight. with him cause like he told yeah. Atuar and Torm hey I think the other guy is the killer take this blaster and be ready if he tries anything and he didn't give any charge for either of their blasters yeah and like the cool thing is the way he kind of figured out who the traitor was is they kind of how, how did he do it like he, he told him that like input where the some sort of planet is and like warm energy. Yeah, he gave them planet. each a specific thing to look up about the planet. One was navigation data, one was like planetary shit, and they all typed in uh different numbers for Midas. Like one was Midas three, one was Midas five, I think. But Torm got a correct Midas seven, because of course he would know it since he's the fucking traitor. Yeah, so like after that, like he kinda like they have a scuffle and he runs from Han. Well, because Torn doesn't know the the Falcons inner you know layers or like rooms of you know that sort of thing. He kind of runs himself <laughs> in the emergency exit where Han has, he you know says a little thing to him. Go ahead, you tell the rest. Yeah, once his dumbass realizes he's in the airlock, he, he immediately tries to beg to Han to like, oh, let me out. You know, I was just doing this to save myself. Oh, Han, I can get you a reward for the corporate sector and like. Han has had, like, basically the same arc he's had in the, the first movie of, like, scoundrel and rogue with a heart of gold, realizing, you know, he actually wants to help these people just to help them, sort of. Because, like, Torm is basically telling him, hey, I know your reputation, I know you're just a smuggler, a mercenary, a cutthroat, it's just business and all that, and, you know, I can cut a deal with you since you're a businessman. And Han kind of looks at his reflection for a little bit, and all he says to him is, ask Recon." And he just fucking vents him out into space, and Torm is dead. Yeah, just like that. So they can all work out for that guy at the end. Yeah, exactly what he fucking deserves. If you're a traitor, that's what you get. Stupid. Uh, he kind of ran into the. It's kind of funny. <laughs> he ran into the uh, the area where he got. He pretty much based himself in hindsight. Yes. But oh well. That, narrow, that narrows down the crew. So it's just the Triani and the droids and Han now. They know where they need to go, but they need to figure out how the hell they're going to get into Star's End, because that place is locked down, as you would imagine. So they jump to, like, just outside of the system, and they're just sitting there for hours trying to think of, like, how the hell they're going to get in. It's 
it's not hours. It's they've been there for days. Because I remember reading, there were they were um, the Falcons' food supplies ran out, so they were literally using emergency rations. Yeah, that's they right. Stuffing on like broth and stuff. They, they and, used like, a weird um, word to describe, uh, I guess, hours at some point because they said time parts, which I assumed was just hours. But I, I've, it's a weird sci-fi word, time parts. Yeah. But I, I, I was like, okay. But then it was like, oh, yeah, the, the, we have no supplies and we're living off the emergency supplies. We have to bring soup. Mm-hmm. But I actually get a lucky break because, like, the person that stars in, like these corporate security guys, right? They're kind of like the stereotypical rich people that they need their entertainment. And, mm-hmm. like, uh, they kind of intercepted this thing from the, what was it, the Imperial Entertainment or Entertainers Guild that they were uh, lacking, like, well, they couldn't make, like, the performers couldn't go to the star's end or, or something like mm-hmm. that. So, like, Khan came up with, a, like, this really cool idea you know, why don't we just say the replacements? And like Han gets to work and he takes Bollocks and he kind of like repaints Bollocks and like he kind of takes it, they, he described it as like he takes his clothes and makes his own little outfit up. Dude, he went all out for this fake performing troupe. He got like pieces of the ship and like made rings for a fucking Atuar to wear so she could jingle around when she dances. He made like a fake little hoop for Paka. Yeah, so basically, Allura was supposed to be the dancer. Paka was supposed to be like kind of like the aerobics, like you know, jumping back and forth that sort of thing. And Han was supposed to be the marksman, you know, uh, you know, trick shooter. Mm-hmm. And Bollocks was well, Bollocks. I I don't want to go too ahead of what he his yeah. thing supposed to be, but yeah, so that was basically the whole gist. And they were going to jump out of like they're going to jump like out of the system, then go back in real fast to kind of act like they kind yeah. of. <laughs> back into the system to kind of like fool the corporate security people into like oh yeah you really are who you are which it worked funny enough yeah well yeah in typical Star Wars fashion their, their fucking goofy ass disguises gets them very far cause they come in and when they, like, they lower the ramp there's like 8 million fucking corporate dudes with a major staring them down with all types of guns and you know they pull their performer act of oh we we didn't get any notice of being rejected. We're the, the replacement group. We're here to entertain you. And they buy it, of course. Of course. And they meet the... <laughs> Your favorite character. Uh, yeah, they meet, they meet the, 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 the... I always picture this guy. He's pretty much kind of like the director. What was his title again? He was the... He, uh, he was the head of corporate security, but they called him Vice Prex Herkin. Yeah, they, yeah Vice Prex Herkin. We meet this guy, and, he, and he's kind of like... I've been going to describe his ass. He's kind of like that, uh, like I guess, again, I'll use this word, a stereotypical snobby rich guy who's, mm-hmm. you're there for his entertainment and just his entertainment only and, you know, screw everything else. Basically, he had a, uh, what was it? It was an Executioner X uh, yeah, combat gladiator droid. Yeah. And he basically he had a really big hard one for watching droids, right? <laughs> and, and like he was like, "Oh, we got the droid, right?" Well, poor bollocks, you know, he was just used for like, um, you know, just like working and like carrying stuff. He wasn't made to be some gladiatorial fighting. Well, he kind of got forced in that situation because like, um, what was it? It was Alora and uh, her cub had to do some like you know kind of distract the uh the, the higher ups there while han took blue max mm-hmm. and were hacking the system to try and look for like the cells within stars end and they run into some of course they're running a lot of issues there yep give me one moment i'm gonna stop the recording i just want to listen back to hear how this sounds just to make sure everything's in order and then i'll re-resume it Okay, so we were talking about Star's End, their infiltration. You just gave a basic rundown of how they got in there, the murder boner that Hurricane has for droids fighting each other. Oh, yeah, let me. I wanted to talk yeah. about the Mark X a little bit because I picked it up my second time around reading this that it's like this big armored centipede type thing with like leg, rows upon legs of like weapons. And it was like huge too, like towering over bollocks. That was a pretty fucking cool image, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to search for uh, see if there's any pictures of it. I can 
I hope there is. I kind of remind it reminds me of the um, centipede monster or droid from uh, the Umbara, uh, the Umbara arc from Clone Wars, because they had like some centipede railgun monster there that was like a droid. I don't There's know also awesome. Of forty k too, and Krons had a a kind of like I think I, I forget, they're like um, I forget what they're called, but they they kind of look look like centipedes from like the the game. Mm-hmm. I don't know too much, you know. They actually it's it's tomb something, but I I digress. Um, yeah, I can't find any pictures of it, unfortunately. Oh, what a shame. I, I'm looking for it, but there may be one because Star's End was actually adapted into a comic. But yeah, um, so yeah, Bullock is forced to fight against that droid because they assume he's just a battle bot. Han stalks off to go and look for the people in the little data center, and Atuar and Paka were trying to stall, but unfortunately, Hurricane kind of hurries them along, and that's where we get Bollocks in his fight. Bahan eventually finds out after hacking into a little thing there where the prisoners are. He finds everyone's loved ones, and he finds Chewie too. Uh, but, but actually it wasn't haunt hacking, it was Blue Max. So Blue Max discovers that they're all in like this weird time stasis containment thing, which is very <laughs> unfitting for the setting, but this is the 70s, so they didn't know any better. Setting wasn't established, but it's just always one of those funny things to see early on a material like this. That is the famous wife of the... Oh, did you post something to me? That's what she looks like? Yeah, she's like she, she. She looks like a Dune character. Well, yeah, and this is the the bodyguard that we forgot to mention the, the snake guy. Oh yeah, Ul Rashan. That guy was actually pretty cool. It's like a villain. It's like murdery lizard like dude who who's apparently like a really good I, marksman. Are you sure you got the right droid? Because the mark ex- execution. I'm looking at it right now. There, it doesn't look like no centipede. Uh, they described it. I'm pretty sure as like having rows upon rows. Oh yeah, that's that's what Ura yeah, well, hey, looks hey, like. Hey, yeah, he looks like a Komodo dragon. He does. But no, this the the, the, the executioner droid had like treads. Treads, yes. I yeah, imagine uh, centipedes yeah, for some reason, look, but yes, the... treads. Ah, that yeah, looks so, so looks fucking like. lame compared to what I imagined. Yeah, the same here. What the hell? Delete that. I'm gonna yeah. keep my imagination. That looks like shit. No, we're gonna keep. We're gonna keep it. Gonna <laughs> it looks so stupid. It's like the Sun Crusher with treads. I mean, you know, maybe I can commission. You know, have that art. <laughs> it looks fucking stupid. Oh my god, I'm, I'm gonna uh, click away from that. Describe what it looks like. Describe no, like. no, they can look up that cringe if they want to. I'm fucking moving on. Um, <laughs> Mark X executioner stupid droid. as Look hell, and stupid as fuck. It looks so cool. No, it doesn't. He thinks it looks cool. He just being he's being difficult. You know, what? we're we're gonna see much crueler droids later on in one of these books. But for now, you're not as cool as the Mark X. Shut up. So yeah, they find where everyone is, but they need to think of a way to get them out. Uh, there's a quick moment where Han and Atuar and Pakua meet back up because they need to keep up the illusion that they're a roving gang of performers. And they bring everyone together to Bollocks to fight that stupid-ass droid. Bollocks surprisingly wins against it. Do you remember how he won? Didn't he, like, rip out its guts or something? Okay, this is how. Because Han had Blue Max with him, right? And Blue Max was like, yeah, Bollocks is going to get killed without me. Bring me to Bollocks. Han was like, no, we got to look for the prisoners and stars in. And and Blue Max was I'm not going to help you into... You put me back into Bollocks and let me help him. So then Han concedes, and he pretty much runs up there uh, and pretty much puts Blue Max, or he gives Blue Max to Bollocks, and they pretty much, he puts him in, and pretty much he kind of like, uh, they they do something together. I think pretty much Blue Max tells Bollocks through the droid stuff how to defeat the Mark X. And there's, because it's pretty much this droid has treads, so uh, this this clunky droid figure out a way to like time his, his movements to get underneath of this droid and kind of like pulls the wires and stuff. It causes the Mark X to go like ape shit, like firing <laughs> like flamethrowers and everything else. That's why then that's pretty much how they defeat it. Yep, 
And then Hurricane basically figures out that they're not exactly who they say they are. So he's going to have Han duel against Ula Rashan, his bodyguard, the fucking Komodo dragon, to kill him. And Han is... What? What's up? What's up? I found art of the uh, the battle between uh, Bollocks and the droid here. Oh, yeah, they give him that little shield. That's pretty cool. I mean, that looks pretty neat. I mean, because I know probably the droid doesn't look as cool as you thought on your head, but, like, it's still pretty neat that they actually have some art. Mm-hmm. That kind of goes with that scene. Well, they were spoiled for a time at this point in the Star Wars EU. They got the D6 books coming out, these novels. I mean, there was a dark period right after it, but still. Here's what Blue Max looks like inside Bollocks. Yeah, I've seen art of them. It, it's not really accurate completely to what they what they're described in the books, but at least it's there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sending it currently. Discord is notorious for slow. Yes. Upload. Or at least for makes. Yeah. And yeah, come on with a new minute. <laughs> yeah, right there. See, yeah. That's, that's, Actually, this one doesn't look too bad, it. except bollocks doesn't really look like the simian he's described with a tall upper body they just gave him the the body of a protocol droid basically but that's kind of accurate yeah and that yeah that's kind of what it kind of looks like in a way he has like the hollow with blue max in there a kx droid actually wouldn't be too bad representation of bollocks because it does have that kind of simian structure to it with its upper body a little bit legs are a little too long though yeah that's true but um, what was I going on about? Oh yeah, the duel with Ul Rashan and Han. So Han is given like a very low charged blaster here. He's basically expected to die in this duel, and he does something clever here because he had Blue Max like overload the reactor, and he didn't listen to Blue Max warning about what was going to happen. So when the duel begins, <clears throat> Ul Rashan takes a shot at Han. Han ducks back. And he allows Ulrashan to accidentally hit the power plant generator there. And it basically takes down the... What was it? It exploded. And I think it also fucked with their anti-concussion field, which kicked in as soon as the explosion went on. And it fucking launched them almost into orbit in the tower. (laughs) Wait, wait, you're also forgetting one thing. At the bottom of Star's End, they were creating these really super dense alloys. That also played a part in like containing the explosion, mm-hmm. which causes Star End to pretty much launch into orbit. Which is when I first it was told of this, I, I was laughing out loud. I'm just picturing <laughs> like this heist or this uh, prisoner breakout, like happening on, the, on this like tower. They got launched into space by this large explosion. <laughs> to me, just it's just absolutely hilarious. Yeah, because like Achua and Paka escaped on a Falcon at some point, and we're like. Um, they were looking over at this and they blink in one second the fucking tower is gone they're looking around like oh what the hell happened and then Octawar looks up and she's like oh my god Han what did you do <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah they kind of looked outside the window like oh god yep. it, was, it was quite funny the best part in my opinion of, of the novel so yeah they, they use that chaos there to run over the prisoners and get them all put out of time stasis they meet up with Doc they meet up with Chewie, and they pretty much stage this revolt with all the prisoners fighting against the Corpsec dudes who they know that, you know, their safety isn't going to last forever because the, uh, the tower is eventually going to fall back down to fucking Midas and explode. So it's just a matter of uh, reinforcements for the corporate security coming and picking them up and them devising some way to get all the prisoners out. So there's there's just some some passages here describing the firefights between them. I don't know how much you want to go into that part. If you had any thoughts, uh, well, basically what happens when it comes to the firefights at this point, like they basically Han gets reunited with Chewie and with Doc, and they're kind of like first there's like talk between him and the um, and the oh God, I kind of, the vice prex. Yeah, the vice prex. It's just a weird name. The vice pricks and like they're kind of like negotiating, like, oh, Han, you know, uh, bring us with you, or more, you know, let you go, or something like that. And mm-hmm. Han's like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that. But they kind of, they're trying to get flanked because there is a um, corporate security, um, some type of ship, craft, yeah, yeah, that kind of latched on to like the bottom, and they're, they're pretty much uh, 
trying to flank the prisoners, right? So basically, then uh, uh, the 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 vice prex tells Han, oh yeah, you know, just surrender now. But Han's like, yeah, now we're not doing that either. So they kind of fight it out, and they have to worry about it because off of the assault craft, they're bringing up a heavy, uh, you know, one of those again, one of those really heavy blaster mm-hmm. uh, emplacement guns. But I, what do they do? They they somehow get on board of the assault craft and pretty much cut the exit off that way to the vice prex and the people up there. Yeah, it gets kind of foggy to read at some points in this section. Yeah. But basically, Chewie leads some of the prisoners to disable the assault craft somehow, leaving them with no way out. But the Falcon is coming around, and they devise some type of plan here, also kind of foggy by taking like one of the tubes on the surface of Star's end that is attached to the Falcon somehow with the tractor, maybe, and they're going to use that to ferry all the prisoners out. Yes, that sounds about correct. And basically, when that is happening, like, out of the clear blue, the Vice Prex comes out, and he's like, uh, Hana, I didn't tell any of the, uh, the other guys to come with me. Please take me with you. <laughs> you know, you could just leave my wife. The Vice Prex wife was described as like a really lord really woman, fat but he didn't like like her when she was around him and he kind of gave like that like he loathed her he was like oh god and he was like oh yeah oh, yeah you don't uh, take my wife either like well, just take me but it turns out his wife shot his stupid ass in the back which is poetic uh, allowing Han and the rest of them pretty much to escape safely. I think sometime before that too, Ul Rashan appears and he actually shoots fucking bollocks in the head and Han kills he Ul does. Rashan. Yeah. But luckily for like, you know, bollocks here, his, uh, he, he pretty much, uh, Blue Max backed up his, uh, his date. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, most of it onto where Blue Max is. So he kind of like lives on yet again. Yeah, these droids are kind of the fucking MVPs in this book, TBH. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, Han didn't like, like them at first. It's described that Han didn't like droids, but like at the end, Han kind of like you know likes them now. Yeah. Because he actually did go out of his way. I mean, because Bollocks did, you know, kind of save Han from getting, you know, killed by the uh, the Komodo dragon. <laughs> I'm not even going to pronounce his name because I'm bad with names. I'm just going to call him Komodo dragon. Mm-hmm. That's what he looked like. That's what the picture is. If people want to look him up, you'll see. He looks like a, you know, a dragon. Yep. So with everyone gathered there, there's a little passage there of Paka reunited with his father looking out of the viewport of the Millennium Falcon or the tube. I forget. He might have been in the tube, actually. But he looks down and he basically sees the tower crash down and explode, destroying Star's End. Yeah, Paka's father, I think, helps Han. Yeah, he actually, yeah, he actually went back to help Han. Yeah, and then they kind of fly off, and they look down, and they see like stars and crash and explode mm-hmm. back on the planet. Which everybody else, like you know, the the Biprex wife and most of the poor Espo guys are, are gone. Yeah, well, fuck them. I like the name, yeah, the yeah. slang t- name he used for them, Espo. Yeah, it's, that's why I keep referring to them as Espos. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want to use, like, corporate security so people know what we're talking about. But, like, you know, we're pretty much at the end of that story, so I'm just calling that suppose. Yep. So they return back to the outlaw techs on their new hidden base, Erder, And everyone gets reunited. Everyone gets their, their happy ending slides here, uh, except for <laughs> Recon's nephew, because Recon is fucking dead, thanks to Torm. But, uh, yeah, Doc and Jess reunite. And they're basically talking about giving the Falcon the upgraded needs and whatever. What happens to... I think the Atriani are just going to fuck off back to their colony. Yeah. Doc, I think, is going to talk to Rikon's, um nephew, you know, and try to offer him something. Mm-hmm. So he sort of gets somewhat of a happy ending, some type of future. <laughs> yeah. And Han and Jess have this one last romantic interaction she gets over under his little great coat and they walk over together. And Chewie is just kind of like smiling at Han as he's going to repair the Falcon and put in the upgrades. Uh, 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 Han's going to get some space ass. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how Star's Ends concluded. Yeah, it was, pretty, it was a pretty cool book. Going into a blind, it was pretty, pretty neat. Yep. That was Brian Daly's first Star Wars novel, too. 
and one of the first novels ever for Star Wars. This is this and Splinter of the Mind's Eye was all that was out, and he did pretty goddamn good considering. I was also reading an interview here that he specifically chose Han for his spinoff too when they asked him who to do. Yeah, like this this is a book that kind of like started like the EU light novels and stuff, which I'm kind of glad because this book was actually pretty good. It was actually a good start to like the whole like expanded you know universe here. Mm-hmm. I haven't read I haven't read Splinter of the Whispering Eye yet. So. <laughs> yeah, well, the next two books are pretty good, but I think after rereading, I still like Stars End the most. I, this is where I think people start to it starts to feel a little bit more like Indiana Jones. Uh, some people describe them as. Well, because not you not in picture. a negative light. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like you know, the, you probably picture because that's Han Solo played by Harrison Ford, and you're thinking, yeah, because I think in the '80s, that's when you know Indiana Jones used to be real big. Hell, I'm a big indie fan, to be honest with you. I think my favorite Indiana Jones is The Last Crusade. Uh, people like um, the Temple of Doom, but it's not really my favorite. I mean, the Raiders of the Lost Ark is cool, but the Crystal Skull that was kind of. I mean, that was okay, but it wasn't my, my favorite. I kind of like The Last Crusade because I've seen that the most. You know, Indiana Jones has its own EU. Does it now? Yeah, it's got, like, its own books and shit. I don't know anything else about it besides that it exists. I think, I, yeah, they also have their own games, which I heard aren't too bad either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The next one is Han Solo's Revenge, which you don't know jack shit about that. I'm correct in assuming, Spark. Yeah, I'm going to go into that one blind as well. Yeah, this one is pretty fun. If I remember all the right beats, it kind of follows the same similar pacing as this one. But uh, Bollocks and Blue Max, uh, they're in it again. They're kind of like their companions for the rest of these books here. I don't think they get as much attention as they did in this one, but they're still fun to have around. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty cool. I kind of like, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them again in the books. So mm-hmm. This is, unfortunately, like the only material where they're really showcased in outside of a really brief scene in the NJL. Yeah, well, when you, when you write it in characters a whole bunch, you know, there's always a chance of them being, you know. Yeah, yeah shit, a so chance of them getting kind of killed off by Karen Travis. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, poor Mara, but that, that's... That's something else for us to rant about another day. Yes. Years on when we get to that. Yeah, we... (laughs) Funny enough, like, there is so much stuff we have to go go through. Like, there is, like, the D6 section, like, the old D6 books for, like, tabletop alone is... Oh, my... That's going to be, like, so much content. Mm -hmm. And we don't have time about, like, the comics that we've read. Oh, yes. I think after we do... Uh, all the Han Solo novels. We were going to pivot to Dark Empire, right? Yeah, we got to pick that apart. Yes. <laughs> we got to rip that a new asshole. Yeah, because that is... Oh, wow. Yeah, so I think Dark Empire, then maybe Dark Times, then we're seeing the best for last. Yes, yes. Which... The New Republic or Crimson Empire, which one were we going to go for last? After Dark Empire? Well, after Dark Empire, I was thinking Dark Times. Oh, Dark Times. And then Crimson Empire? Then probably Crimson Empire, then the New Republic comic. Uh, Maybe. We'll see. Because I might want to alternate with a book at some point between that, but we'll see after we do Dark Empire. Yeah. But yeah, I basically got everything I wanted to say out of the way. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, make sure you mark. Uh, you look up the Mark X Executioner. That's uh, all right. Make sure you don't do that. Uh, this is podcast thirteen thirteen. Yeah. I'm cutting it off here before Sparks says something stupid. And Mark X Executioner. Goodbye.